Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on October 9th, 2022, on the basis of Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 to 22. Hey, Pastor. I have a question for you. If God is so loving as everyone says that he is, then how could he send a worldwide flood to wipe out almost all of humanity? As I contemplate that question, my heart breaks. My heart breaks because in that question I sense an accusation. An accusation that God is not loving, which couldn't be further from the truth. The question has taken the form of that accuser, Satan, who would love nothing more for you to accuse God, who would love nothing more than for you to shake your confidence away from the one true God. Although that question in particular had a certain insinuation, the question itself may be worth us wrestling with this morning. It's always worthwhile to wrestle with the interplay of a God who is perfectly loving but at the same time, perfectly just. These are both concepts that we we understand individually. We get it. But we see love as a prize worth attaining to and a solution to many problems. On the other hand, we see justice as essential for a civilized society. And when someone is wronged, we yearn for it. But how could one maintain both love and justice? As you look at the worldwide flood, which we'll look at in a second, you can readily see both at play. God had warned the the world's ancestors, Adam and Eve, that sin will bring death. Death was the consequence of sin. Sin must be punished in order for justice justice to be maintained. God cannot remain perfectly just and leave sin unpunished. He can't look the other way. So with that in mind, listen to what we hear about humanity at the beginning of the account of the flood. In Genesis chapter 6, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. With this act, God's justice would be carried out. But Genesis 6 goes on, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God would show his love to Noah. And Noah found favor with God for one reason. And that one reason is exactly what we're going to talk about today. So, let's start at the beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 6 begins by describing how those who believed in the one true God and worshipped him began to marry what was termed as the daughters of the world, which was another way to say unbelievers. Believers married unbelievers, and what ended up happening is that the believers gave up their faith. They followed the pagan religion of their spouses. They didn't worship the one true God anymore. And a God who is perfectly just cannot let that stand. So, we see that he sets a time of grace, so to speak. He says, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. From the time God said this, he would give the world 120 years to repent of their wickedness and turn back to him in faith. But at the end of the 120 years, 
God said that he would wipe from the face of the earth the human race he has created. But this guy Noah would not fall under that same judgment. When we're introduced to Noah, we're told that he, number one, was a righteous man, as the Bible calls him. Number two, that he had a good reputation among the people of the day. And number three, and and perhaps most importantly, he walked faithfully with God. And his family did too. He had a wife and three sons who were each married. After this introduction to Noah, we hear about God's instructions to him. He was to build an ark of gopher wood. And God gave him specifications for this ark. It was going to be a big ark. It was going to have three decks on it. And and inside, it would be able to house Noah and his family, two of every kind of animal that would be coming to him, in addition to the seven pairs of each of the clean animals. And it would also have enough room to to store the food to feed all the animals and Noah and his family while they were on the ark. He was to do all this because the flood was coming in which everyone would perish, but God would establish his covenant, his promise with Noah, and he and his family would be saved. So after they entered the ark with all the animals, when that time came, it says that God shut them in, that there had to be a sense of peace and calming to the fact that God was the one that sealed them into this ark. And a week later, the flood began. Rain fell from the sky faster than it ever ever had before. The springs of the great deep burst forth, and the sea waters rose, and the people of the earth could not run away fast enough. They were consumed by the waters as the waters continued to rise for 40 days. Meanwhile, the ark was lifted up by the waters, and Noah and his family were safe inside. Eventually, the ark would float 20 feet above the earth's tallest mountain, And this flood would last for 150 days. Before God sent great winds and closed up the springs of the deep and the rain of the sky. And when he did, the waters began to recede. They went down and down and and eventually the ark came to rest on the top of Mount Ararat. But it took 220 days for that water to go all the way down to the point where Noah and his family were able to exit the ark. So, in total, Noah and his family had spent 370 days on the ark. And you just got to wonder, what were the first words that they, they said when they came out of the ark? You know, maybe in a sense, those first words would reveal what was on their, their hearts. I want you to imagine this. What if Noah walked off the ark and said, you know, God, it's about time. We've been cooped up in there for a year. Or what if Noah just walked off the ark and immediately got on with his life, not even acknowledging what God had just brought him and his family through? Wouldn't that communicate that Noah was completely unaware of the magnitude of blessing that God poured out on him and his family by saving them? Maybe it would reveal that in his heart, Noah felt entitled to the blessings that God had poured out on him. He felt like he deserved it, and that entitlement cost him his appreciation and thanks. Either way, it would not have been a response of faith. But Noah's actual response reflects the faith that God had given him. He responds with a full awareness of just how much God had done for him and his family. He knew that he was not worthy to be saved, but that it was through faith that he was saved. 
That was the only thing that differentiated Noah from the rest of the world. Faith. Not behavior. Faith. Noah had faith in God and faith in God's promise. The promise that went all the way back to Adam and Eve. When God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, he, the the offspring of the woman will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Noah believed the promise. The promise that God would send the great head crusher of Satan, who would be the offspring of the woman. He had faith in this promise, the promise of the Savior. A promise that was almost snuffed out completely. At the beginning of the sermon, we asked this question, how could a loving God send such a destructive flood like this? Well, here's an answer. This loving God didn't want the promise of the Savior to be completely lost. And it almost was. Noah and his family were the last ones on earth to believe it. So, yes, the flood was certainly God's justice being carried out on those who didn't believe in him. But the flood was also God's grace to the rest of the world, so that billions of descendants after Noah would have a chance to hear the promise, to hear about their Savior, to have faith. One day each of you will stand before your judge, the judge who will separate the sheep from the goats, the saved from the damned, and he will administer his justice. Do you know what the difference between you and the the damned will be? Faith. That's it. The sheep, the saved, will be the ones who had faith in the promise, faith in Jesus as their Savior from sin. Faith that has no sense of entitlement, faith that knows exactly how unworthy we are, faith that is fully aware of our sinful condition, but faith that looks to Jesus for forgiveness, faith that looks to Jesus to save and trusts that he has. You know, there's a remarkable connection that the Apostle Peter makes between the flood and baptism. Peter shows us that, yes, the the flood can be seen as God's judgment, but it can also be seen as God's grace, God's saving. Peter says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saved you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as God saved Noah's family through the water, lifting them up in the ark, so also he has saved you through water poured on your head at the baptismal font. It's not just a washing of a dirty forehead, but a washing away of sin. It gives you a clear conscience toward God, and you need not fear his judgment for you have been saved. So, again, we we return to our previous discussion. There is an interplay between God's love and his justice. And that's why Jesus is so vital. Because God's justice has already been satisfied in him. He took our punishment. God carried out his justice on him. And because he did, you receive grace. Because he did, You no longer have a God of judgment, but a God of love. As the psalmist says, our cup overflows. God's graces are numerous. We overflow with blessings of God. And as those blessings overflow, thanks flows out of us. For Noah, it was a sacrifice. There were plenty of things for Noah to do when he got off the ark. But first, he gives thanks to God. 
for bringing him and his family through. The sacrifice was one of thanks, but also one of remembrance. It was remembering the promise that God had given. It was remembering the promise that God had preserved through Noah and his family. The promise of the head crusher who would destroy the devil's work. That promise was carried on. So, what are we to take of this? Build your altar to the Lord. As the Apostle Paul says, offer your life as a living sacrifice to God. Let your sacrifice, let your life be a sacrifice of remembrance of Jesus' work and one of thanks to him for it. And if that seems difficult, if thankfulness seems hard to come by, dig in once again to God's word. Reflect. Reflect on the gravity of what Jesus did to save you. Reflect on the amount of love that the Father would have to have in order to give up his one and only Son. And then watch. Watch your faith grow. Watch your cup fill up and your faith overflow with thankfulness. Amen. Hi there, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. If you liked this sermon and liked the content that we're producing as a church, could you do us a favor? Could you hit subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to this on? That helps us be be heard by more people more often so that more people might hear about Jesus and his love. Take care, have a great week, and we'll we'll see you next week for another sermon.